Um, yeah, so welcome to another episode of Streamed and Screened, the podcast from Lee Enterprises about movies and TV shows, etc. that you should be watching. And this week, with it being Halloween, we are talking about the new Halloween movie and some of our, our least favorite tropes in horror movies and, you know, uniquely how, how they're sort of deployed in the most recent Halloween trilogy that just wrapped up with Halloween Kills, which is streaming on Peacock uh, as well as in theaters. With Halloween ends, Chris, it's Halloween ends. Halloween ends. That voice you heard, that is Bruce Miller, who is the editor. Yeah, it's the editor. Uh-huh. That's Bruce Miller, uh, also someone who's been uh, covering the entertainment industry for, for the Sioux City Journal for, for decades. And I, I am Chris Lay. I'm the podcast operations manager for Lee. I'm a producer on the show here. And we'll be back after this short break to talk about Halloween and recommend movies that, that subvert your expectations. So stick around. Be back in a second. You can always judge a McDonald's by the Coke. You really can't. If the fountain Coke is bad at a McDonald's, the rest of the place is going to be bad too. But if it's a good Coke, you're pretty well sure that everything else is going to be fine. What makes a good Coke? Um, it's got to have the right consistency and it can't truly, McDonald's Cokes are the best because they use fresh water. They use a special, I mean, I don't know their brand of water, what it is. I have no clue. I just know that a McDonald's Coke is better than any other kind of fountain Coke you'll find. This is news to me. You've not heard this? Oh, come on, Chris. I'm dead serious. Google it. I think there's got to be a Google thing on this. You'd be able to find out that Cokes are the best at McDonald's. So the thing about um, the water. Yeah, there's a different water that they use in the, you know, when they mix it through the thing. McDonald's Coke is different. Interestingly enough, I actually just went to a McDonald's yesterday. I got Diet Dr. Pepper and I got a kid's meal because it comes in the bucket. Right. And that can kind of lead us a little bit into the the conversation that we're going to have about horror movies, specifically Halloween. Okay, so we both went to Halloween Ends, right? You saw it, I saw it, and really I disappointed, disappointed for dragging this thing out for three films. They could have done more. They were trying to hint at, oh, we're going to start it up again. There's going to be more. And God, what do they have to do to that poor Michael Myers to finally get rid of them? I mean, it's like, really? This is the the way we send him out? No. I learned I never want to live in Haddonfield, Illinois. Yeah, that makes sense. I think the the Haddonfield uh, of, of David Gordon Green uh, is not ideal. It seems like the uh, the people there are a little bit grumpy in general. Okay, so... We've had this serial killer on the loose for God knows how long, right? Mm-hmm. And this town suddenly, oh, we're going to have trick-or-treating. Yeah, we're not going to say anything about the killer that might have been here. Or if we are, we're only going to talk to Lori about it. We're going to make her feel really bad about it. Do we not kind of like lean in and say, you know, I think we're not doing Halloween on Halloween. Or we're going to do it in the afternoon. The town <laughs> never really kind of figures this out. Instead, they all go and, oh, there might be something going on. You know, we haven't seen Michael in a few years. Do you suppose this will be the year he'll show? And sure enough, there he comes. And 
poor Lori in her brand new house with all the new decorations. She's happier than she's been in decades. And she's like looking forward to Halloween. She's been writing her little book about her experience, thinking, oh boy, I'm going to make some money off this. Her granddaughter has a job. Her granddaughter has a boyfriend. So it looks like things are looking up. And then something about, oh, those creepy eyes the boyfriend has. I don't know. I don't think you should be going out with him. Well, how many times has a grandmother said that? You got creepy eyed boyfriends. Stop it. I think there's <laughs> trouble here. The boyfriend is interesting because the film opens with this extended sequence with him being a babysitter for a like a preteen boy. Who's a restless kid and every little child in any horror film is just a pain in the butt. And this one bears it out. He's running around all over the place. And what happens? Well, splat. Yeah, splat indeed. And it's an accident for, for all intents and purposes. But the, uh, the boyfriend, Corey. Yeah, Corey is, is the babysitter. And and so then I guess he is forever connected by by trauma or whatever to everything that that happens afterwards in this wicked town where people make fun of everybody so no wonder michael turned on them you know it's like okay you people you're all just a, a vile wretched bunch and i'm gonna come back and start swinging things and then this kid kind of turns too. he figures well what the hell i'll just be just as bad off as everybody else thinks i am right yeah and i mean the movie takes a long while to incorporate Michael Myers, as opposed to just the the concept of Michael Myers sort of haunting the town. And once Michael Myers gets into the mix, things take a pretty hard left turn. But the the logic of how Michael Myers and Corey end up being connected is tenuous. They try too hard to make this seem, you know, they, what you see is they they kind of want to have a next generation, mm -hmm. but then they kind of throw it away, too. Yep. So it makes no sense. It's like, I don't care anymore. I'm not visiting this town. I'm not going there anymore. I'm done. But it's like, what are these people thinking? Who are these people? They were an angry mob in the last film. Evil dies tonight. Evil dies tonight. Yes, yes, there were a lot of things in this film that pointed up my list of things that you see all the time in horror films. Sure. And the first one, if I can get into them, is they always have these doors with glass in them. Really, does everybody buy a glass door so that then you can easily punch it out if you need to and just twist the knob and go? It's crazy. But they're so good at leaving the doors unlocked. This town, nobody locks a door. So there's always going to be an, a door ajar at some point. Stupid. <laughs> Everybody has, in number two, a basement that nobody should go in. You know, as a kid, I used to, I was so scared by the movie Mr. Sardonicus because it was about some kind of guy whose face froze in this dreadful look. So he yeah. was like scary, really scary. And I always thought that Mr. Sardonicus lived in my basement. And so every night before I went to bed, I would lock the, the basement door. So Mr. Sardonicus couldn't come up and get me. Now he never did, 
But the idea that Mr. Sardonicus lives in the basement, I think is a pretty good way of going about life. These bad basements that they've got, don't go down there. Whatever you're doing, don't go in the basement. And they always do. Basements are always creepy, though. There's a certain, the the unfinishedness of it, the slightly mildewy smell, the, the cobwebs everywhere. The scary doll that's sitting on a, a shelf that, you know, could or maybe could not come alive. <laughs> or somebody who's been living down there for 30 years and suddenly decides that they are going to get you mm-hmm. or grab a leg as you're walking down, you know. No. And the lighting. Does nobody pay their utility bill easily? If I'm going down to the basement during one of these spooky times, I'm bringing somebody with me and we are lighting up the place as if it were Madison Square Garden, because we are not going down in a dark basement. That's stupid. I I will say Halloween Kills incorporated a basement as a a trap device. So it's a light, light little twist on it. But it didn't work. He was back. And you know what they never they never explored was that maybe there were many Michael Myers. <laughs> You're pitching a whole new film series. But, you know, they're traumatized. These are people who identify with Michael Myers. They are then kind of doing these things. It's always like like some of those. Um, oh, which I, I'm trying to think of a name real quickly of these teen horror films where somebody becomes the killer. And you have to figure out which one of these teens is the killer. And then it's so like sometimes there were two of them that were working in cahoots. Yeah. So they could have gone there. They didn't. Don't explore basements. Glass doors and doors are not ever locked. Phone service. Phone service. Frankly, if you're living in a house that you're worried that maybe somebody's coming, don't answer the phone. Just let it be. Let it ring. Let it go to voicemail. You're fine. Landlines have largely disappears so that little kind of trope that they use can go away but now it's cell phone you know these these random calls that i ignore all the time are now coming to these people you know in the past you know 20 years i guess horror movies have had to adjust a lot and either be set in a pre-cell phone era or somewhere in the middle of nowhere but they never ever check their cars the car always has a battery that doesn't work or there's some some uh engine trouble there's always something screwed up with their cars do these people not take them in for servicing at least once a year they should or you're a klutz and you're dropping the keys always drop the keys and then they try sometimes they'll try to hotwire the car to see if they can get it going because they don't know where the keys are. And there's always somebody at the window, Mm -hmm. always at the window. So that's a a real problem for them. If they do have more than one person with them, they never, ever go together. Let's split up. We can cover more territory. How dumb are you? Do not split up. Go as a herd, you know, and walk around. Everybody look every direction. But at night, I've learned from just experience, just sit at home, lock the door, don't go anywhere, shut the blinds so nobody can see, you're good. There is no killer outside. (laughs) No hermit has ever been murdered in a horror movie. Is that what you're suggesting? That is exactly it. I'll give you an example from my life. 
three o'clock in the morning, I hear somebody pounding on the door, the front door, three o'clock in the morning. I'm in bed, but I can hear it. And it, the pounding gets louder and louder and louder. And I think, I don't care who is there. If you are coming with the, you know, uh, prize patrol and you're going to give me a big check at three o'clock in the morning, I'm not answering the door. And suddenly I start seeing like lights shining through my window. And I'm thinking, well, what in the hell is this? So I decide, okay, I'm going to go because I hear a lot of voices outside the door. So I go to the door and it's like this SWAT team that is at my front door and they think I'm harboring some criminal in the house, right? I said, come on in. You can look anywhere. I don't care. But there's nobody here but me. And they said, well, <laughs> somebody is loose and they've been around this neighborhood. I said, well, they're not getting in this house because I am not answering the door except when you almost broke it down. And it was cops. That's who I answered the door for. But otherwise, I'm pretty good at, at just staying put. Yeah. Right? Yeah, of course. The other thing we find is these killers are always very moralistic. If there are two kids that are screwing around in a bedroom, one of them is going to be dead. There's usually somebody under the bed sticking a knife up and stabbing or killing somebody who's... Mm -hmm in the bit we've got that a lot during those um friday the 13th films they were killing off more kids who were screwing around than anything and so yeah they're moralistic which is interesting because you think come on you're a killer you'd be the least uh, likely person to have any kind of standards there's a certain code you know that goes along with that sort of psychopathy of being a mass murderer nobody says here are the rules to being that kind of a guy right? Mm -hmm. They suddenly become stronger. How do these killers who have been shot a jillion times not fall down or they get more energy? And so even though you've been stabbed, and we have that in Halloween ends. And Michael, my, what more could we do to you? You know, but they seem to have superhuman strength and they come back. Michael Myers, I mean, the first Halloween movie, it made sense as far as what was driving him in a way, once you kind of break that down a little bit. I mean, it was what he he was the, the younger brother and uh, what he came back to, it was what, like Laurie Strode just lived in the house, his childhood home? She was babysitting and always the babysitters seemed to have trouble. That's another rule. Do not babysit. If people <laughs> ask you to babysit, don't do it. Just don't, don't be a babysitter, full stop. Yeah. So we've got Laurie Strode, the luckless babysitter. And then in Halloween Ends, we've got, it opens with Corey as the, an additional luckless babysitter. And if you hadn't babysat, he'd be okay. It's a bad career move. It doesn't end well. And they usually stiff you on the money anyway. It's not as much money as you think you should be getting. <laughs> The kid is just a beast. You know, you're dealing with a, a very kind of difficult child. There's nothing to win in this. It's not good. I mean, speaking of kids, you know, kids are a lot of times creepy. I mean, there's not a lot of... Kids are bad. Look at how many of these creepy... Well, you go to Poltergeist. She was watching TV and then she conjures all this stuff. Kid, we're turning off the set. <laughs> then you have the it kids, you know, and that's a troubled area right there. You just name it. Wherever there's a child, trouble. 
it's a lot more creepy when you end up with the kids being the problem with like when the kids are the bad thing like i'm thinking of um you know children of the corn or the exorcist look at the exorcist yep bad kids so kids are they really don't get cut a break they're the no, they source don't. of all this problem because something that they have done has spurred some trouble right yeah falling people will always fall in a horror film often when they're being chased now, A, they should wear better shoes because that's a good way of stopping that. Mm -hmm. And B, don't go anywhere that you need to run. Again, lock yourself in your house. Don't answer the doors. Don't answer the phone. You're fine. Yeah. Notice how they always have two-story houses. If you're nice, if you have a ranch or some rambler that you're living in, if you live in a, yeah, if you live in a mobile home, not a problem. Not a problem. You never see a, a serial killer going after somebody in a mobile home. <laughs> okay you're you're not wrong you've struck on a new genre maybe is the uh you know a trailer park murderer that see wouldn't that be something i think that would be maybe a good way to go yeah what you're suggesting is that you know we need to have you know the most spartan lifestyle possible to not be the victim of a of a slasher event can't live in a place with a basement don't want to have a a second floor a staircase that you could fall down on because that happens that's never good yeah no kids no fancy shoes no if i get chased by a murderer i would like to be able to run if you had the tennis shoes or some kind of running shoes nearby much better always go for that and the bathroom the bathroom is always kind of a a slippery slope because people will try to lock themselves in the bathroom to protect themselves from this killer who's got like a hatchet or something. So, you know, well, you have nowhere to go. You can't get anywhere out of there. Or the window is bad and you have to climb out on the roof. There's always some kind of thing. But the bathroom, bad place to run to. Never, ever hide there or a closet. Yeah. A closet is another one. They always think if I go in the closet and just keep quiet and then their cell phone goes off and gives them away. Do they never silence these things? I am going to jump in and, and highlight a little bit of a contradiction that you're presenting is that the, the cell phone service is always bad, but also the cell phones always pop off at the wrong time, which always, always yes. they're going to go off when you're trying to be very quiet and hide under the bed because the big guy is so stupid. He can't think of looking underneath the bed to find you. But the minute that that phone goes off, he's grabbing a leg and pulling you out. <laughs> That's how that one works. And then if you have a mirror, you know that you're going to see, you'll look at the mirror and you'll see nothing. And then you look away and you look back in the mirror and he's right there. So if he had no mirrors in the home, he couldn't pull that trick. Not going to happen. And it's all about the tricks. You know, it's all about the the killer being uh, very self-aware of the, the yeah, horror. Yeah, where do they study this? They have intelligence that goes way beyond mere mortals. They know more about everything than anybody does, but nobody seems to to stop them on that. So, you know, and people go to places they shouldn't go. They they will say, well, now, whatever you do, don't go in the back room. This is like the the, the babysitter rules. They tell the girl, don't go in the back room. Well, you know, she's in that back room before they even get out of the driveway. 
And she's in there looking around to see what's in there. And she sees something like probably a meat hook because don't most homes have a meat hook in them? And <laughs> she sees that as potential for the future. If the killer gets around there, I'm going and grabbing that meat hook because maybe I can stop him with that. Just don't go in that room. You're better off. Don't go in that room. I mean, a lot of these, you know, we are certainly hitting, you know, some of these, you know, textbook elements of a horror film of what makes a horror movie. You know, these aren't necessarily all wrong. It's just the the, the genre has has grabbed a hold of a lot of very stock plot devices. If you go back to like Agatha Christie, mm. where she had 10 little Indians and they start kind of counting them down and you think, well, they're picking off people. That's what they do in horror films. They just start, they start with one that you probably wouldn't suspect. And then it's like, oh my God, is the whiny one going to get it right away? The answer is no. The whiny one does not get it right away because we have to have that person around to cause trouble for everybody else. The dumb jock will probably get it second or third. Mm -hmm. That's how they, they get rid of those ones. And then that, that leaves the woman in peril. And this whiny one who's just like, oh, I can't do it. This is terrible. She'll last longer than the rest. Yeah. And then you see that she suddenly gains strength from all of this. And she takes on the killer and probably goes in that room that she shouldn't have gone in and got gets the meat hook and then starts slapping it around for the uh, guy to fall into. And then he will then fall on the meat hook. Right. Yeah. Because, of course, they're always going to be impaled. And you think, oh, we can rest. I can phone some friends, see what happens. We can get this all. And they never call the cops. Nobody calls the cops. I would have them on speed dial. You know, this is not, this is so stupid. But so then she kind of relaxes and sure enough, there's killer with the meat hook hanging off him right behind her. And then it becomes a battle to the finish. The more recent things have been these kind of real, almost grotesque snuff film like ways of dying if you look at jigsaw and those kinds of things where they they create these elaborate methods of killing people mm -hmm. and sometimes you think you know if you're planning it out that much this isn't gonna work this is not a good idea i mean the the idea of a kill quote unquote you know the in a uh, in in horror movies these days, there's even going back to you know the slashers is finding inventive ways to kill off characters, and the the more uh, novel and, and gruesome, the better or the the more interesting. And I think the new Halloween movies did a solid job of doing those, but it ends up being something where the the kills are the best part. It's something like Saw and those, you know, torture porn kind of genre films that, that you're talking about. There's almost a purity to them in that, you know, that it's just a bunch of stock devices that are going to funnel these characters into, you know, a shoot more or less. And, you know, toward towards their their eventual doom where they have to make some decision. And it's, you know, once you're in that very specific kind of mousetrap, it's plot wise and I guess, you know, literally in the stories that are being told. It's all about changing up the way that people have to navigate those things. It boils everything down to its, you know, most basic element, which is the, the kills. Whenever you have a tool 
it's going to be used. If there's a rake somewhere, you see that early on, the rake will be used as a killing instrument. If you have like a chainsaw, that's going to be used because these are all things that are kind of sitting around. It's very Martha Stewart in its way that just things you have around the house you can use as implements. And that's what they do. They're looking for something they haven't used before, but it's the same old stuff that they're doing. It's just in a more creative way. You know, there's a a certain, you know, Chekhov's gun element to it. Right. Go back now. And when you look at it, something like Psycho is a perfect example of what a horror film should do, because it surprises you just when you get a little too complacent about what things are going on. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, Janet Lee was top billed. She was a big star. And spoiler alert, she dies early into the film. That's not one that's something that you would have expected, especially at that time. Now you know that if there is a big name in there, probably they're not going to make it to the end of the film. And so that was one thing that Hitchcock did, is he shook things up. The, the status quo was not the same. Have you watched it in recent times? It's been at least like five or six years, I think, since I've seen the original Psycho. It holds up. It is so, so well made. And, you know, I mean, they, they talk about scenes in class and in, in film classes and the music and what that does. And yet it was kind of just tossed off as just kind of one of those cheap films that we're just throwing in theaters and it's nothing really to pay attention to. And it turns out to be this classic that I think it still scares you, even though you know how things are going. You go, oh, I would be kind of yeah, I, you shouldn't do that. Don't do that. And that's, I think, what's the joy of Psycho is that it constantly still has that hold on you, even though you know how it's going to turn out. But like I say, they're still borrowing his techniques. The things he did in Psycho, we're seeing in films today, tomorrow, the next week. They're still around because they were so effective and they were so well done. I'm going to throw out a couple of slashers. One that I I recently watched, which I feel like does a lot of the same stuff and subverts is The Fun House, which is a 1981 movie by Toby Hooper, best known probably for the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but also directed Poltergeist and Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, which is its own unique beast. But um, that's one that uh, The Fun House definitely subverts a lot of expectations of what you're getting into who the villain is, what their motivations are, and the the kids that are involved with it, and the you know pseudo sexual shenanigans that that happen. Um, so that's that's the one that I'll throw out there, and that's actually on the Criterion Channel right now because it's classy. Well, look at um, you go to Silence of the Lambs, where he was trying to play a mental game with Hello Clarice, and he was trying to get in her mind and kind of scare her that way and you think well, that's that's interesting because you there people can play games with you all the time and you don't know what their game is but here's somebody that is in prison because he killed people so there's a little more to it and it's that mind play that i think can be very fascinating to see how it how it spills out when you talk about silence of the lambs and playing games and things. The characters in there are playing games with each other, but Jonathan Demme, the director, is playing a whole bunch of games with the climactic sequence towards the end. I've seen 
Silence of the Lambs a lot more recently than Psycho, and it still holds up. The way that the rug gets pulled, you know, heading into, you know, the knock on the door moments is still just absolutely masterful and anxiety inducing and just the way that it flips. So, I mean, that's that's certainly one. And then the other one, the the new one that I'll throw out there is Barbarian. Still in theaters, I believe, uh, a lot of places. And that one, I know we, we've talked about that one. Jared and I talked about it and uh, we talked about it on this pod, but it keeps you guessing as, as far as what is going to happen. And all of a sudden it, it, it changes a lot of different directions. And like you were saying with the, the Skarsgård kid. So those are the two that out there out there, old and new, uh, that people should, uh, should check out if they're looking for something fresh that doesn't play into the tired tropes that we're talking about. Uh, another one that still scares me, even uh, the idea of me even watching it again, it would take quite a bit, even though it scared me to death was midsummer. Oh, you yes. Know, where you're going, you think, oh, we're going on a trip and we're going to learn things and we're going to learn new customs and it's going to be so fun. And they go off to this, you know, this little commune of sorts mm -hmm. and the people seem all happy and they're, oh, they're having a big picnic outside and they're dancing around a maypole. And then suddenly they're throwing people off a cliff and killing them. Yep. And it's like, Oh, Oh, wait a minute here. What is this? That's a real but hard think, left turn. Yeah. Yeah. And that's and one where that's, it, 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 um, it uses the whole, you know, you can't use a cell phone out in the middle of nowhere. Right. And it's, it's also, it's, it's very bright. It's not dark. It's uh, there, there aren't dark rooms. No. And it's, who do you trust? Mm -hmm. Can you trust somebody that you think is the closest person to you? Or is that person your biggest enemy? You never know. Excellent selections. So there we have a little something for the Halloween aficionado who wants to Absolutely. sit and watch something better at home. Something to put in your, uh, your McDonald's Happy Meal bucket. Yeah. And get the good Coke. Of course. You got to get the good Coke. Right. That's Absolutely. That or, or in my case, the, the good Diet Dr. Pepper. Well, I mean, that's going to do it for this episode. Um, and, you know, thank you to Bruce. Uh, we'll have links to recent articles that he's got out uh, through Sioux City. We'll have those in the in the show notes, as well as links to the movies that we talked about um, and, you know, where you can where you can find them streamed and screened. We are on all of the, the social media places. Uh, find us there subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening to it give us a rating and review etc on apple or spotify or wherever you get your, your shows and uh bruce what is the uh what, what, what's jared's catchphrase here see something good see something good hello clarice